0: Let's let God have his way. Hebrews 12, and we're going to read verses 15, 16, and 17. Hebrews 12, uh, 15. The Bible says this, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Verse 15 again, Sister Hogan, if you would throw that scripture back up there. It says, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. Another version says it like this. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God, see to it, amen, I want to teach for the next little bit with the help of the Lord on this title, simple title, now, now, Easton, my, uh, east my oldest son, who's five years old, um, he is some, he is the greatest thing I got going for me as far as sermon material, and I think you would probably agree with that. <laughs> That's why you keep kids around, right? Good sermons. Um this kid loves toys. Loves. And you may think, oh that's you know, that's common sense, Bryce. He's a he he's a kid. He should love no, he loves. He he loves toys. And not just any toys. He loves new toys new toys. And I almost, and I know Mallory would have killed me had I done this, but I almost took a little picture of his toy room uh, and threw it up on the screen here for you today. Um, because literally there's kind of a path and you could somewhat see the floor uh, to get through. I mean, we try to keep it cleaned up. We try to keep it organized, but this kid loves toys. And I, I crack up at how creative he is, how he goes about getting a new toy. And it could be, it could be any toy. Uh, but he wants a new toy. He, he's not satisfied with the thousands and thousands of toys that he has in his toy room that he could go and play at his convenience anytime he wants to. He's got any toy you can think of. I cracked up at him at Christmas time when we asked him, hey, uh, somebody, uh, hey, a, uh, uh, Gigi wants to know what you want for Christmas. And he says, uh, yeah, I want the Paw Patrol set. We're like, You have the Paw Patrol set. You have all of it that you have made us buy individually. That we have created a Paw Patrol city uh, for you to enjoy. He's like, I want, but it's I want the new one. I want the one that's at Walmart on the shelf right now. It's like you already have that, but I don't have the I don't have the newest one. I don't have. The new one, and he gets creative by how he goes out and and gets his toys. He may not even be hungry, but I'm like, "Hey, are you hungry?" And then he'd be like, "Oh yeah, yes, I'm hungry." And well, I'm like, "What do you want?" He'd be like McDonald's. I was like, "Oh, what do you want for McDonald's?" You know, and it's not chicken nuggets, not cheeseburger. I want a Happy Meal. Why do you want a Happy Meal? You know why he wants a Happy Meal? Because there's a toy that comes with the Happy Meal. And he, and he loves it. He gets so giddy. I get his, I get his Happy Meal. The lady hands it to him and he says, Dad, don't tell me what toy is in there. Don't, don't tell me. Don't and I'll, 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 I'll take a peek up. You know, and he, he loves the anticipation of what the toy is going to be, even though he's already had a Happy Meal maybe a couple days prior and it's going to be the same toy, but this is the newest toy. Amen. He loves new things. Have anybody ever seen these fidget spinners? Yeah, these fidget spinners—they kind of took a craze, like uh, maybe about a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago. But I remember my brother telling me how his son Hunter—he uh, he loves fidget spinners and he's crazy about fidget spinners—and and and not just any fidget spinner, but all the fidget spinners—and and to where he told me he has like over thirty fidget spinners. Thirty? Why? Because he craved the newest, the latest, the greatest, and, and he even where so much he has a case where he keeps them all locked up. And, you know, people think they're so cool with these fidget spinners. They spin around. They're like, check this out. Can you do this? We're like, yeah, I can do that. It's not really a big deal. So I'm here to preach against fidget spinners. No, I'm not. Just, but but what I'm, what I'm dealing with here, my whole thought this morning, what I'm dealing with here with, with, with Easton, this is a real human condition. That not only my son Easton wrestles with, or my nephew Hunter, uh, this is a real human condition that all of us have, and that is that we like new stuff. We like new stuff. One of Easton's toys can be two days old, but the one that's on the shelf at Toys R Us is way more exciting than one buried in his toy room. Why? Because we are conditioned. Whether it is our first world condition or our Western mindset, we are conditioned, we are developed, we, we we are raised with this excitement, anticipation of everything that is new. Even if it's not new, if it's new to you, it's still new, right? I've passed down some clothes that I've had for years, and even though I've had them for many years, when I pass them down to somebody else, those clothes become new to them, Right? So much of our culture is predicated upon, have you got something new? Is that new? And you're like, oh, it's new. It's brand new. I got this yesterday. This is fresh off the shelf. That's one of my brothers. We crack up at him all the time. In fact, make fun of him to the point that, you know, he has to have the greatest, the best, the brand newest. This is on the black market. They haven't even come out with this yet. It could be anything. It could be a Twinkie and it could be like this is the greatest Twinkie. Nobody Walmart doesn't even have this Twinkie yet. It could be anything. And if it's new, it's of greater value. Even if you have something just like it. You may already have that tour. You may or you may already have that pair of gym pants or you may already have a hat that looks like that, but the new one that's on the way, the new pair of shoes, the new hat, the new shirt, the new car, anything that's new. We love new stuff. Would you agree with me? We love new stuff. We 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 enjoy it. And I'm not saying that that is wrong by any measure. It's just a state of fact from observing our culture. We enjoy, anticipate, look for, and, and, and are rewarded by new things. This is how we are conditioned. And here's here's the problem. You become a Christian. You become a follower of Jesus Christ and you are simultaneously living in a culture that is, that I would say is generally blessed, okay? And so as a result, we are conditioned to having new things. And so now you have been saved. You have now repented of your sins. You have gloriously been filled with the Holy Ghost. You've been baptized in Jesus name. And now you insert yourself into a new domain known as the kingdom of God. You're now a worshiper of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And subconsciously, without even being aware of it, you still crave new things. You desire new things. You want new things. And then here comes God. And he doesn't do new things based on our cultural context or our ways. And so here comes what? Here comes frustration. Because we are we are designed, we are conditioned to crave, desire, to want, to anticipate, to look for... New thanks. For instance, the message of the gospel, the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to Jewish believers who, at this point, everything was going great for the church. Everything was happening for the church. The church was seeing a great gain in that time. And then all of a sudden, there was an outbreak of persecution. There was new regimes. There was dictators that began to rise to power. And now, based on the actual writing of this letter to the Jewish believers, they are now dying. People are being killed. They are being crucified because now jesus followers are not popular and they are coming under great persecution and great scrutiny so the writer of hebrews he writes to these believers and he essentially says don't give up stay the course jesus jesus loves you don't give up on jesus he didn't promise that it would always be easy and now He writes, and so he goes on, he says, don't give up, stay the course, Jesus loves you. And so now we find ourselves toward the end of this letter that we read in our text. And the writer of Hebrews goes on and he writes, see to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. Now that is an interesting phrase. And it kind of connects the thought this morning about newness. And how we crave new things. Now remember, he's writing this letter to believers. He's writing this letter to people who are already saved. Not to people who aren't aware about salvation. Not to people who aren't aware about the grace of God. But he's writing this to believers and he says, see to it. That nobody misses out on obtaining the grace of God. And you read that and it makes you wonder. How does somebody who is already in relationship with God they're saved they're in love they're in relationship with Jesus how does somebody like that miss out on obtaining the grace of God well it's what we find in Galatians chapter 2 where it says they set aside the grace of God Galatians 5 talks about how they had fallen from the grace of God. Galatians 5 and 4 says this Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from. From grace. How does somebody who has been saved, how does somebody who has been forgiven of their sins, how does somebody who has had their slate washed clean and gloriously filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, someone who is in relationship with God Almighty, how does somebody fall from that grace? How do you set aside grace and how do you fall from grace? I'll tell you exactly how. It just gets old it just gets old it becomes common place it becomes ordinary it becomes just another phrase it becomes something that we that we say it becomes something becomes a phrase like praise the lord hallelujah god's good all the time These are phrases that we say in passing and we and we say them so much. I'm thankful for his grace. They have become simple phrases that we say as we pass one another by and they have lost their meaning. Acts 2.38. Yeah, I know that scripture. Yeah, I've heard of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I've had the Holy Ghost for all my life. Yeah, I know about it. I know for God so loved the world. I know those scriptures. These Hebrews seem to be tempted to forget what they have. Church, do we know what we have in Jesus? Do we understand what, what we have? He says, see to it. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it, the writer is emphatic. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Well, what is this grace of God? What What is the grace that you're speaking of? First, let me tell you what the grace of God is not. The grace of God is not a... Con- it's not a principle but the, And the grace of God is not this idea But this grace that I speak of this morning Is a person And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ Who is full of truth And grace and mercy He is grace and he is mercy The Bible puts it like this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. He is the grace of God personified. Amen. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a sin problem. We all have this problem. We have this gap in our life that keeps us from relationship with God. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 says for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might, that we might, that we might be made the righteousness of God in in him. I know we had that gap in our life. We had that space that kept us away. From relationship with him But Jesus Christ bridged that gap By going to a cross And dying for our sins Why? So that we might be made The righteousness of God in him Jesus Christ has bridged that gap That we once had And now it is our responsibility church To walk across the bridge It's our decision whether or not to cross it or not And let me tell you This is something to celebrate This is something to get excited about Don't let this grace Don't let this bridge that he made become commonplace in our life. Clap your hands unto the Lord this morning. This is what we have right now. Don't let the good news of the gospel, gospel become commonplace in your life. Don't let your relationship with God become so ordinary that you lose the wonder of it all. This is what we have right now. Church, I know we get excited about the future and we get excited about the things that God has in store for us. And without a doubt, we know he has great plans for this church, for this body. But please understand and don't forget about what you have right now. Anybody thankful for the gospel this morning? Come on, we're here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here. That's what we're celebrating. That's why we gather together to celebrate the gospel the gospel is—it's a word that means news. That's good. I mean, we don't really have a—we don't have a choice in the matter whether it's whether it's good or bad. We don't—we don't get that choice. It gets taken away from us because it means good news. Good news. I wonder how can you have the news that's good when so much than the news in our country is fake or bad news. How can we have good news in that mess? Let me tell you, because this news, this gospel news, it is transcendent. It has stood the test of time. It is his word that has forever settled in heaven. It doesn't matter what kind of government we have. It doesn't matter who our president is. It doesn't matter what kind of culture we live in. The gospel is still the good news. And it's good because it's about Jesus and he is always Good he is always good and so we are supposed to share the good news we are supposed to get excited about the good news We are supposed to, as believers, be inspired about the good news. We are supposed to rejoice about the good news. We are supposed to stay passionate about the good news. It's the news about Jesus that is so good, then that should define our lives. But here's what happens sometimes. You know what happens? We get tired, and life begins to happen. And the gospel is is still good. It's just things aren't going so good and because things aren't going so good the news doesn't seem as good and church if we are not careful we can become so consumed with everything that is going on around us that we forget about what we have right now we get tired we get weary and because our life is bad the good news that Jesus has is just ordinary. There's a story written in a book over 130 years ago. Some of you have probably heard it. It's called Acres of Diamonds. It's a true story of a farmer who had bought an old farm and yet and yet just had inadequate earnings from all of his hard work. And on this farm, he had this old plow, and he had this ox, and he had an old barn and a field and and this shack that he and his family would live in, and they barely made it by scraping by just enough to eat on and live on year after year. And one day a traveler came through and and told the old farmer what was taking place across on the other side of the world and they had found these mines they had found these diamond mines and there were there were streams that men were just reaching down and picking up diamonds right after right out of the stream and men were going from poverty to riches in just moments and the story uh, the story so intrigued the old farmer that he decided to sell everything that he had he sold the shack he sold the barn the fields the ox And the plow. And he kissed his wife and his kids goodbye. And he said, he said, when I come back, when I return, I'll be a wealthy man and I'll come back to get you. And he gave them just enough money to live on and he put them in a little place and, and off he went chasing diamonds. He went to South Africa, India and ultimately ended up in Spain and he went all over the world and anytime he heard of a place to be having a diamond rush, he would get his stuff and he would go and he would try to find his fortune. He finally reached a point after he had spent all of his money, there was so much depression going on in his life. There was so much anger because he was unable to strike the riches. He was unable to find the diamonds that he had heard about and so he in all of that mess and all of that depression, he decided to dive right into a river that was flowing and he committed suicide right there on the spot. The saddest part of the story is the farmer who bought his old place. He took the same plow. He took the same ox, the same field. He lived in the same shack on the same farm and he was plowing in that field one day and he noticed these black rocks he picked one of them up and he said it looks like there's a rainbow that's trapped on the inside of it and he didn't think much of it he thought it was pretty cool so he brought into his house and he set it right there on the mantel above his fireplace and then one day a priest came by because he had heard there was a new farmer living on the old farm and as the priest was talking to him he stopped in mid sentence as his eyes fixed on that black rock that was above the fireplace and he said where did you get that and the farmer said oh I found that out in the field he said they're everywhere and that priest he he, he said you got to listen to me that thing right there is a diamond he said you have to chip away at it and you have to shape it but inside of that black rock there lies a diamond and and he and the priest they gather together they go out into the field and astonishingly they find acres and acres of diamond it would become the world's most significant diamond find. It is no, now known as the De Beer diamond mines. And it all came about when a man who once had it all under his feet didn't know and understand what he had and he let it all go uh, over the world to try to find what he had was right under his feet. He never realized that he had been living on acres of diamonds. He never realized the potential of the place where he was. He thought that if he went to South Africa or India or Spain, it's out there. What I'm looking for is out there. It's not here, but it's out there. Some people just don't realize exactly what they have right now. Some people just don't realize the treasures of Christ that they have right at their hand, right in this building, right in this church, right here, right now. Some of you are looking. Some of you are searching You're looking and you're starting to chase this and you're starting to chase that. And when you don't understand that in Christ Jesus and in the church, you can find acres of riches, acres of treasure. It's here right now. It's all right under your feet. It's here. It's not out there. It's here. How sad this story is but I I see it repeated all the time because the world's going to look at you and they're going to say, out there is diamonds. Somewhere out there, there is somebody that will make you so fulfilled, not realizing that right where they are, there's acres of diamonds. And so they go searching and they go trying new things and the enemy wants you to be convinced that it's out there. It's not in here. But I'm telling you, I'm preaching, I'm pleading with you this morning that right now in this building, in this church, in Jesus Christ, in his word, that's why the psalmist said, open my eyes to see the wondrous things that are in your word. God, open my eyes to the things that are here now. God, don't let me get so used to the blessing. Don't let me get so used to your word. Help me not to lose the wonder of it all. Help me, God, not to get tired, not to get weary. But open my eyes, God, to the wondrous things that are in your word. Church, you don't have to go searching. You don't have to go looking. The only thing that you should search with all your heart is Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen. A story like this, you can't help but think of the prodigal son. I wonder sometimes what was he thinking? What was he thinking when he left his father's house? What was on his mind? What had convinced him? He had everything and he took his inheritance and he left. And I think sometimes somebody had to have gotten in his head. Somebody came through and said, man, out there, out there, you'll have a good time. Out there is diamonds. Out there is riches. Out there, they're living it up. Out there. You're really missing out, man. That's where life really is. And he was in the Father's house. He was in the Father's house. Somebody lied to him and said, It's out there. It's not in here. So he took his inheritance and he went into a foreign country. He spent all that he had chasing riches. Chasing diamonds. If I get this, I'll be happy. If I, if I achieve this, I'll be happy. But he ended up empty, eating pig's food and living in their pen. He turns up one day in all the filth and he says this, at least in my father's house, there are hired servants that are eating better than this so he went back home and when he got home he realized that the riches that he was looking for all along was right there under his feet and he never should have left in the first place but the world lied to him church this world will lie to you this world will lie to you How many times have we seen somebody leave the church chasing a diamond and then at the end of their story they find out that it was just a piece of coal. It's the old adage of you really don't know what you've got until it's gone. As you stand with me here this morning. We've got to stop letting the world lie to us and say that it's out there. They say, oh, the grass is greener on the other side, Bryce. If you would just get to the other side, it's better. I'm here to tell you that though the grass may look greener on the other side, it's because it's fake. many times do people hop over the fence to the grass that's greener and find out that it's astroturf? it's fake it's misleading oh it looks good looks nice it looks pleasing looks like it has potential and sometimes we get to the place where we lie to ourselves where when we look out there we think that the potential that's out there is greater than the potential that we have right here I'm here to tell somebody that there is unsearchable riches right under your feet. There is huge potential in the ground that you are standing on right now. And it's all really in how you see things. That's why we need to pray, God, open my eyes to the opportunities right here, right now. God, open up my eyes to the potential. Open up my eyes to the relationship. Open up my eyes. God, help me to see your grace and your mercy that I have access to right now. God, help me to see the people that I'm affecting right now. God, open up my eyes to the beauty of holiness. God, help me to see it right now. Because there is riches. There is riches there is riches right under your feet right here in this room it's God's grace it's God's mercy I know I said that God doesn't do new things on our terms but the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning when you woke up this morning there's a new mercy knocking at your door I don't want to ever let God's grace I don't want to ever let God's mercy become commonplace become just a common ground that I come to church and I walk in I do church I leave and I go home and I do my thing and then all of a sudden it's like man what did he preach about what does he teach about what did God say today I don't know because I was just going through the motions I was just doing my routine I was doing my thing and yet God was speaking all along trying to open up my eyes to see everything that's here right now you bow your head this morning, close your eyes.